Welcome to the ASSP Safety Standards and Tech Pubs podcast, your source for expert insights on industry consensus standards and ASSP technical publications. I'm your host, Scott Fowler. Many pieces of equipment play a part in developing a safe and effective fall protection system. One such piece of equipment is the self-retracting device, or SRD, used in personal fall arrest or rescue systems for workers at height. The key with SRDs, as with all fall protection equipment, is knowing that it has undergone the proper testing, as well as how to operate it properly so that it can serve its intended purpose. The NCASSP Z359.14 standard establishes requirements for self-retracting devices for personal fall arrest and rescue systems. Here to discuss SRD safety, and the Z359.14 standard with me is Dan Hen. Dan is Vice President of Operations at Reliance Fall Protection, Vice Chair of the Z359 Committee, and Chair of the Z359.14 Subcommittee on Safety Requirements for Self-Retracting Devices for Personal Fall Arrest and Rescue Systems. Dan, thank you so much for being here. I'm glad to be here this morning. Thank you. I touched a little bit on self-retracting devices or SRDs during the intro, but for our listeners who may not be familiar with these tools or may be just getting into fall protection, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what self-retracting devices and self-retracting lanyards are and the role they play in fall protection. Well, I think it's important to talk about what they are, but also what they've become. And Mm -hmm. if you look at the self-retracting device or the classic self-retracting lifeline, these were traditionally uh, cable inertial locking reels that were mounted on overhead anchorages to allow a cone of access on a walking working surface. But over the last 10 to 15 years, they've evolved into a series of different types of devices, many of which have been miniaturized and uh, worn in lieu of energy absorbing lanyards. And that's created some new challenges for the market. Okay, so uh, getting into the standard itself, I wonder if we could provide our listeners kind of a broad overview of Z359.14 and more specifically, how safety professionals and workers can use the standard to help ensure everyone stays safe when working at height? Well, if we look at the current standard that is uh, currently in circulation, uh, it hasn't evolved to the point where it has anticipated the the new manner of use of these devices. And if we look at the uh, overhead cable reels, those are pretty well qualified and, and those those requirements are pretty straightforward. But if we look at the way that the miniature devices or the personal devices are being utilized, uh, we haven't anticipated a lot of the end user behaviors and incorporated new requirements into the standard as of yet. Although we presently have a new version of the standard in circulation, which has been balloted successfully. So we're actually uh, disposing of comments presently. With that groundwork, let's get into the the details of the standard, which is divided into four main sections, those being requirements, qualification, testing, marking and instructions, and user inspection, maintenance, and storage. So starting from the general requirements, what should purchasers, safety professionals, and users be looking for in an SRD? Well, in the new standard, we've written additional requirements in requiring higher factors of safety. I think one of the things that people fail to realize is because of the limitations of the construction of these devices in their historical context, they're the only product or finished product in the marketplace that do not uh, provide a two-to-one safety factor. The minimum strength requirement in the current and previous standards has been only 3,000 pounds, which when compared to the 1,800-pound maximum resting force doesn't get us that two-to-one factor of safety, which is a very basic expectation in fall protection. Now, in the in the use of these devices with an overhead anchorage that wasn't really a tremendous concern because we weren't really inputting a great deal of force. But once we've miniaturized these devices and we've allowed the end user to select different anchorage elevations, uh, we've created some new problems here. So the key feature of this standard is to increase the strength of these devices. 
whether through the materials we're using or through the construction methods. In addition to that, uh, the performance requirements, we've gone through and we've eliminated testing procedures that didn't teach us anything about the performance or capability of these devices, and we've introduced new testing procedures to evaluate known end-user behavior that has evolved over the last 10 to 15 years, so we can make sure that we've covered our bases with that. And in terms of marking instructions, our objectives there are to make sure that we identify which devices are appropriate for which applications so the end users can make good decisions about the application of product. Moving into testing, I wanted to discuss the, the type of testing required in Z359.14 and how to know that the SRDs, SRLs that you're purchasing or using have undergone the proper testing to ensure they'll provide that proper level of protection out there in the field. Well, you know, I'm going to tell you this, that the, the ANSI standards are comprehensive and certainly uh, go beyond what the federal regulations require in terms of testing. If we look at subpart M, for example, in Appendix C, you know, those, those uh, testing guidelines are non-mandatory, right? So as a result, all that testing is essentially optional. If we look at the context of the ANSI standards, they go way beyond the non-mandatory requirements of the uh, uh, subpart M requirements, but they're still voluntary. So my, my guidance to end users is if you have an application wherein you're concerned about the performance of your product, then you need to talk to your manufacturer of choice and look for specific test data. Because if we look, for example, at the leading edge test requirements in the current standard, they address conditions that generally exist in steel erection environments, but not necessarily in road and bridge environments or other aggressive construction environments where other hazards may exist. So while the ANSI standards are comprehensive, they're not all-inclusive and there are, are other hazards that need to be mitigated. So my, my message is that additional testing is required above and beyond in order to vet out those additional hazards and conditions that exist in the workplace. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. With, uh, with regard to testing, something we've uh, discussed in a previous podcast with regard to Z359.14 is that the test requirements in the standard apply only to testing leading edge devices over a steel edge. Drop tests on uh, abrasive surfaces such as concrete or stone are not included <coughs> in the current version of the standard. There was a, actually a bulletin published last year addressing this issue, so I wonder if you could speak a little to that, the rationale behind it, and what those who purchase and use leading edge devices need to know about testing. Well, you know, uh, to be fair, I have to say that, you know, there are so many variables that exist out there in the individual workspaces that it's very difficult to account for all those and create reasonable analogs that will allow us to evaluate those conditions. So that's an ongoing effort that we're actively working on. And uh, once we publish this next version of the standard, our primary objective is going to be to develop additional analogs for leading edge conditions to ensure that we've vetted out as many of those variables as possible. But the simple fact of the matter is this, that if we want to ensure end user safety, the first step we have to take is to elevate our anchorage, right? The higher the anchorage is, the better off we are in all circumstances, and every measurable metric improves under those circumstances. And while it may be difficult to introduce elevated anchorage in many conditions or in many circumstances, the fact of the matter is that solutions exist, whether it's freestanding horizontal lifeline systems, boom lifts, uh, passive systems, alternative measures. Uh, I'll point back to the hierarchy of controls in, in Z359.2. You know, we have a lot of options available to us. It's just, are we willing to take the time to do the work, or are we looking for the easy right. way out? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
Uh, one topic that particularly caught my attention when taking a look at the requirements and testing sections of the standard is the discussion of SRLs with integral rescue capability. This is something the standard dedicates sections to in both the requirements and the qualification testing. And I wonder if you could speak a little to what integral rescue capability is in some situations where SRLs with that capability are needed. Well, let me first very carefully and slowly state that self-retracting devices with integral rescue capability is a mouthful. Uh, <laughs> what it speaks to mostly, and, and I'd say classically, would be your, uh, your classic confined space device, which includes okay. an integral rescue winch. And those, those devices are intended to retrieve somebody who succumbs to the environment in a confined space and pull them out. But with uh, other innovations taking place in the marketplace, there are also devices available that have uh, controlled descent mechanisms that can be initiated or utilized in the event that somebody falls uh, and they can be lowered to a safe location. The simple fact of the matter is that this class of device isn't fully realized yet and I expect that there will be a lot of innovations coming down the line here in the coming years because rescue is one of those things that we talk about a lot and even in the regulation we discuss the, the need for a site-specific rescue plan but more often than not the site-specific rescue plan is somebody with a cell phone calling 911, and that's not good enough. Right. Uh, we have a long way to go, but I will say that the, uh, the committee has done a lot of work on developing the Z459.1 standard for rope access, and what that's going to do is going to give us a lot of new tools within this assortment of goods that we're familiar with in our community that can be utilized for rescue purposes. And so legitimizing the rope access techniques, uh, equipment, and methodology into the fall protection standard gives us a basically a new quiver of arrows to work with to, to develop better rescue scenarios. So I'm really I'm very excited about that. So the next section in the standard covers markings and instructions for SRDs, and I wanted to discuss uh, what information these markings and instructions provide the end user to ensure that they have undergone the proper testing prior to use and use properly out in the field and using the markings on a particular device to know which device is appropriate for different working conditions. Well, you're going to have to ask me this question again here in a few minutes because I'm going to totally derail the conversation <laughs> at this point. And what I want to say is this, that prevailingly when I, when I speak to end user groups or do conduct training, whatever the case might be, I always ask the question, what do you all do with the instructions? And 99 times out of 100, they make a waving motion over their shoulder as if to say we throw them away and we don't care about them. And I refer to this as the IKEA principle. And I think a lot of us have had the experience of buying a bookcase or something at IKEA and trying to put it together. And we figure we'll have it licked in a half an hour. And an hour and a half later, we're digging the instructions out of the trash and trying to figure out what went wrong. And where fall protection is concerned, I see that happen again and again and again. These instructions aren't being disseminated to the people who need to have them in order to uh, successfully implement these systems. So as a result, if we look at the marking side of things, you know, we have a real estate problem. If we look at the size and space that we have to put uh, informational markings on a product, we're very limited. So we can only really kind of get the greatest hits on there. And if people aren't paying attention to that, then we're really in, in deep trouble. So our effort in the new .14 standard is to try and create some new vehicles for communicating uh, these issues. So there are specific uh, formats have been created, particularly for products in the F2 class, which are used over uh, a potential structural edge contact, which communicate the minimum clearance requirements. So at the most basic level, the end user at the point of attachment has a document available to him that says, you need to have this much space beneath you or you're in trouble. 
Okay. So we're looking for, for ways to communicate this information succinctly and, and locally in an effort to make sure that the end users, the individual worker at risk, has the information he needs to understand whether or not he's implementing his system safely. Now that we've worked our way through the standards, we arrive at inspection, maintenance, and storage. Now, I know these are all critical to the continued safe use of fall protection equipment. So when users are inspecting an SRL, SRD prior to a shift, what kind of things should they be looking for to ensure that the equipment is safe to use? And what do they need to do to ensure that it stays in good working order over a long period of time? Well, you know, this is one of those things, and I know that we sometimes in the safety business talk about how uncommon common sense is but it really is a common sense issue. We deal with SRL specifically, or self-retracting devices in general. Locking function is the number one thing we're looking for. And if the device fails to lock, then we have a real serious problem. And it's, it's a pretty common occurrence, particularly in aggressive environments. So you know, my first guidance is always look for that locking behavior of the device. If we don't have that, then we've got nothing. You know, from there on out, we're looking at the condition of the device. And quite frankly, you know, we're looking at very simple things such as you know, denting, cracking, breaking, any deformation of any component. We're looking at corrosion or any invasive contamination. You know, if it's a filthy, awful mess, then we probably shouldn't be using it. Right. And if we, if we kind of, you know, evaluated uh, our SRLs on the same level that we would evaluate our clothing on date night, we'd probably be in a lot better shape. <laughs> All right. Uh, any, anything else you'd like to add about uh, Z359.14 or SRD safety? You know, I'm just going to say this, that, you know, fall protection is an uh, area of PPE or safety in general that's a little bit enig enigmatic. And, uh, you know, we simply don't know what we don't know. And I've been doing this for a long time, and I'm still learning things about it. Sure. So, you know, the, uh, the key objective is we need to talk and communicate and ask questions and uh, seek new information. And the simple fact of the matter is that, you know, over the last 10 years, the fall protection market has grown exponentially, and at the same time, we've uh, had a 27% increase in fall fatalities. And, uh, you know, in 2017, uh, beyond the 887 fall fatalities, we had 227 injuries resulting in days away from work with a median value of nine days. 15,000 of those were head injuries, and one in three resulted in brain injury. And there are a lot of things we can do to improve the safety of workers at height. And one thing that I'll mention here that's not directly related to fall protection is, is simply this. Type 2 hard hats with a four-point chin strap would greatly reduce the number of head injuries we're seeing every year. So, you know, what we need to do is focus on those things that we can visualize and see and, and take steps to improve. And it's going to take time. We have some cultural issues to overcome here. But uh, these things are not unachievable. And, uh, you know, the, the end goal should be to, you know, move toward progress rather than perfection. Absolutely. Thank you very much again for coming on, Dan. Uh, fall protection, I know, is a very important topic to a lot of safety professionals and workers out there. So I hope our conversation provided some insight into how they can use SRDs to develop and improve their fall protection system. So thank you again. Thank you, Scott. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the ASSP Safety Standards and Tech Pubs podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect with us at ASSP.org and follow us on Twitter at ASSP Safety. We'll see you next time.